0: Amen. Man, well, um, we're going to spend some time tonight in uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 5, one of the um, passages from the liturgy this this week. And I'm going to set my little reminder here so I don't go on at nauseum because I'm kind of I'm kind of excited about this. So let me read it for us tonight. If you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5, we'll read it together and then we're going to just spend some time digging in together to look at this. If I was to title tonight's message, it would be Joining in the Worship of Heaven. Um, the Eastern Orthodox have an absolutely beautiful understanding of this. They talk about how I have a, an incredible kind of um, in, um, exegesis of the Eucharist service by Alexander Schmemann when he talks about the entrance. And from the moment that you walk into the doors of the church, the moment you come into what we would call the ecclesia, the assembly, that you have entered into the kingdom. You've entered into the throne room. You've entered into the presence of God. And certainly here as we read Revelations chapter 5, John has been welcomed into that place. But uh, tonight I want to look at what it looks like for all of us to regularly enter into that place of worship let read together. Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break the seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. For every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down, and they worshiped. The word of the Lord. Here in this passage, and here tonight as we gather, we find ourselves in the presence of God. In the very temple, the the throne room of the kingdom. Right in the dwelling place of God, where he is seated on his throne. And here in the presence of God, as we start the passage, we find the Father sitting on his throne, God, and holding in his right hand the hand of his power and of his authority a scroll that is sealed shut and it's a bit like some of the stories we love from life and childhood even where we talk about these moments where only one who is worthy can open the seal I love how that theme has been picked up throughout many stories and some of those beloved children's stories like Sword in the Stone, right? This theme of only one who's worthy. I think I was watching a commercial the other day for a show that's starting these people are going to go and try and find some buried treasure somewhere and legend has it that only someone who's worthy will ever find it. You know, we love this idea that there that there's that there's something there to be had, something there of value. And here we are in the very throne room of God, a scroll in his hand, and it's declared, only one who is worthy can open the scroll. And then almost immediately in the passage, we're met by a problem. In that the words of John in Revelation say, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open it. So here is God holding this scroll that cannot be opened except that one who's worthy, open it. And John is struck by the realization that what is in his hand, no one can open. Right. And John is quite in the vision. John, in this encounter, is deeply concerned. He's deeply grieved and distressed by this, so much so that the, the passage tells us he begins to weep. You know, Not just to sort of feel bad or kind of be bummed out but to really start to like weep, that something inside of him knows that scroll needs to be opened. If you look at the commentators and the question becomes, what is this scroll? What is in it? What is it that's locked up and not being opened? And There's numbers of things that people have hazard some, some guesses at, but I think it seems pretty obvious, and most commentators would agree, that we're talking about the scroll that then gets talked about throughout the coming chapters of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 8, you can kind of forward through and see it actually finally gets opened. But in that scroll, I think, and I would agree with a lot of the commentators as I've looked at it, I'm not a scholar in the book of Revelation, but as I read those who are, many of them would agree that somehow inside of this scroll seems to contain the redemptive plan of God. And not just the ideas, but as it's opened, the plan unfolds. That as it's opened, the redemptive plan of God, which we see kind of play out through the, through the chapters. God redeeming, reconciling the world unto himself. Inside of the scroll is contained God's plan to set right all that is wrong. To set right in the truest sense all that has been lost and broken. And so, certainly, I think it, it heralds John's desire to see it opened to this idea of all creation waiting with longing for the children of God to take their place, for the, the redemptive plan of God to play out. Right? And so, steep down inside of John, there's this grief and distress that I wonder if John even fully understands. He's just moved to weeping at the thought that this scroll cannot be opened. And as he's weeping, as he's distressed, one of the elders who we've already met in chapter 4, you can go back to chapter 4, another beautiful um, revelation, kind of apocryphal piece of worship in the throne room. These elders are there as well. These leaders, these right around the throne of God, one of them turns to John and he says to him, John, um, weep no longer. Behold. As I sat and I thought of John's grief, and, and, and even before this elder speaks into it, I thought, you know, I think there's something happening here in the heart and in the life of John that we can really relate to if we're honest about our lives and about the world that we live in right now that there there, there is a longing, something desperate inside our bones that wants to see the redemptive plan of God unfold, right? That that we understand and we touch the need for it in the places where sin and, and, and brokenness and bondage and injustice seem to be ruling. We prayed tonight for the Ukraine, even when we begin to think of the world right now. Spaces And our hearts and our lives, they begin to call out for some sort of salvation. For what's wrong to be set right. And not only because we look at it and we see it's wrong and we'd like it to be right. But because deep down in the DNA of us, deep down in our bones, in our soul, we know it's not as it should be. That the what God intended is not what we are living or experiencing. And so like him, I think we can kind of put ourselves in this place and identify with this longing. It's like Paul in Romans chapter 7 when he talks about the wrestle in his life with his sin and with his flesh. And coming near the end of chapter 7 of Romans, Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And I love it when you look at that Romans passage. Even in the Greek, there's exclamation points all through that verse. Wretched man that I am, exclamation point. Who will save me, exclamation point. That, that same heart, that, that crying out, that longing for redemption that finds, for Paul in Romans chapter 7, its answer, and right here in Revelation chapter 5, that same answer when Paul says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Who? Jesus And the elder leans down and he says to John, weep no more. Behold. I've come to love that word in the scriptures. When I see it, it arrests my heart and it causes me to stop what I'm doing. I think that's what it says to me. Stop what you're doing. Look. Listen. Behold. So John sits and first he uses his ears. He listens. The, the, The elder says to him, behold. And as John is being welcomed into, ushered into the worship of heaven, first of all, the elder wants him to see, to know who it is that we worship. Orthodoxy. You've heard this word? We sang tonight the doxology. Doxa, worship. Right? Orthodoxy, right worship. And in order to have right worship, it must be pointed in the right direction. In order for worship to be right, It has to have the right object. And so the elder comes and he says to him, John, look, the Lion of Judah. He uses in this place with John uh, Messianic Old Testament language. The Lion of Judah, Genesis 49, verses 9 to 10, uh, language that Jacob uses in his blessing over his sons to speak of their lineage and prophetically point to the Messiah who would come and would be the Lion of Judah. And the root of David, the one who sits on David's throne, that throne that was prophesied and promised, would never be vacated. And certainly, you know, long, shortly after David, we see it vacated in the flesh but in the kingdom, that there was a Messiah who would come and would be the Lion of Judah, the king, the root of David, who would sit on that throne. And what what is so striking then is what happens next, because having heard this, having been pointed towards this Messiah, the one who can open the scroll, John hears it and then lifts his eyes to see it, to behold, and as he beholds the lion of Judah, what he sees is in the center of everything that's happening here in the presence of God. Everything that's happening here in the throne room, at the center, is a lamb. That in the throne room of God, the lion is a lamb. Again, we're we're bumping into a moment when the kingdom of God is flipping everything upside down. Where our understanding or our expectation is meeting the heart and the purpose and the intention of God. And we see that the line of Judah, the king of the kingdom, is a lamb that was slain. A lamb standing as though it had been slain. Here at the center of everything, we are reminded of John's word in the Gospel of John when he said, he sees Jesus approaching and he says, behold, here's that language again, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1.29. Here is that lamb now fulfilled his calling and he's in the center of everything in the throne room. He's the center of worship. The lion is, in fact, a lamb. The kingdom is flipping everything on its head. The last has become first. The least is the greatest. The crucified has become the exalted. If I had more time, I would read these, these passages from the book of Hebrews, uh, but I'll leave it with you for homework. To go and read even the whole of Hebrews 9 and 10, and to read of the Hebrews writer's um, theology and, and, and description of who Jesus was, this, this one who comes and fulfills the sacrificial system, A system where blood was shed, where atonement was made for sins. Jesus comes and once for all is sacrificed on the cross. And here we encounter that lamb. Here we encounter that sacrifice. And where is he? He is in the center of everything. And the scroll is placed in his hand. And when the scroll is placed into his hand and heaven and earth realizes that there is one worthy to open the scroll, worship breaks out. I love this. Here is Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and he takes that scroll into his hand and in his hand all of heaven and earth erupts in worship. Worship just blows up. Uncontainable worship. Let's look at it a little bit together. First of all, we see in Revelations 5, verses 9 through 10, the songs of the four living creatures and the elders. And together they bring worship to God, to Jesus, to the Lamb, for who he is but also here specifically for what he has done. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You are to be worshipped You are worthy because of what you've done. I love it when he says the line of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll. He has come and he has accomplished what only he could accomplish. And worship breaks out. And I love it. It said it's a new song. It's a song that till now couldn't be sung because there was no one to sing it for. But here we stand after this holy weekend in the season of Eastertide before a God who we remember and we recognize has paid the price, who went to the cross, but who didn't stay in the grave, has risen from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father, and as he takes that scroll. All of heaven begins to worship because of what he's done. And then it, it continues. These guys lift this new song. This, the, these elders, these living creatures, this song lifts up in worship, and it's good, and it's probably got some volume to it. And, and, and people are being drawn in to worship. John certainly is being drawn into the place of worship when all of a sudden, heavenly hosts... Multitude on multitude, thousands on thousands. John can't figure out how to describe how many angels. He's trying to use language to describe the choir, and he just can't find it. All I can tell you is it is massive. And so we get this host of heaven who begin to worship in some ways, they begin to worship Jesus for who he is and for what he's doing right now. Let's read it together. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing right now. Right here. Right now. I love Psalm 113. There was a song that was put to music back in my vineyard days. Let the name of the Lord be praised. This is what's happening right now. This just breaks forth this heavenly song with some, with some real volume. And then the song gets even bigger. Verses 13 and following. John says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing, honor, glory, might forever and ever. This song is praising him for what he's done and it gets louder. They begin to praise him for what he's doing and then All of creation joins in to praise him for what he shall do. And I use the old language on purpose because I don't think we have an English word like shall. It means not, you know, kind of he might do. He absolutely will do. So much so that we're going to worship today like it's already done. Forever and ever there will not come a day when the encounter with Jesus should not lead us to break out in worship. There will never come a day when he will lose his place as victor, as the one who has triumphed, who has conquered. Note, interestingly, that the the ones in worship Are the same, it's even the same language, and John's not doing that by accident, I don't think. It's the same group of people who John points out couldn't open the scroll before. No one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth could open the scroll. And he begins to weep. And now that same group of people break out in worship. That they find their place in the presence of Jesus, in this place of worship. Promises are being fulfilled. Paul says in Philippians 2 that God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Here we're seeing it. John's encountering it. But John's not just witnessing it. He's not just watching it from a distance like a spectator. What's happening for John is he's being invited into it. He's being drawn into it. This incredible encounter and the worship that breaks out, John's not just supposed to sit on the sideline and watch it like we watch Netflix. Right. And I think there's something to be said there for us tonight. To be said for us as we encounter Jesus, and as we, the ecclesia, the, the gathered people, the assembly, come together, we do not come together to watch something happen. We don't come together just to watch Adam lead us in worship tonight. We come together to join with hell of heaven in worship. Because the lamb who was slain was slain for You. And the redemptive purposes of God have been unlocked. They are in action. They have already been changing your life. And so church, the assembly, the gathering is incredibly important, but it is not a spectator sport. And if we stand back and simply watch it, what a tragedy And if we find ourselves coming and not knowing how to enter in, not knowing how to engage, my encouragement to you, is we begin to lift that as a prayer of longing to the Lord. God, I want in. You did it for John. Would you do it for me? Would you let me come into a place of worship? It's incredible tonight as we share this and we, we look at this and We we, we consider it together that Adam was leading worship tonight. Adam has led worship before, that's pretty obvious, but it's been a while. And in this season of his life, as God is at work in him and Kenzie's home and in their hearts and their lives, part of what's happening is as the redemptive plan of God unfolds in his life, worship is starting to come out, and it can't stop. Almost since he got here. And then when it started happening, Adam wasn't even sure he was happy about it. We had a good laugh about it one day. His Jeff was leading. I remember you telling me, I'm cheering Adam's story for him, but I think I'm allowed. He's, at, Jeff was leading, and he told me after, you know, as he's leading in the middle of this song, all of a sudden I'm almost falling over in the presence of God. I'm being overwhelmed by the presence of God. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I thought I left this behind. And God's moving in his heart. So I just thought, wow, what a prophetic thing to have Adam lead us. That's the first time Adam's led in in our large group gatherings tonight. As he led us, he didn't just lead us in song. He led us by his very own testimony that the redemptive work of God is at play in his life and worship is breaking out. We're being invited into it to participate in it to be a people of his presence is to be a people of worship gordon fee said it this way readers of this passage in revelation chapter 5 who themselves fail to join in with the heavenly hosts are listening to the text only cerebrally and not with the exhilaration needed or intended by john so that His readers are themselves drawn into the heavenly scene as part of the worship. Indeed, the reader who fails in the present to enter into the heavenly worship, which for them is still to come, will have missed John's purpose by several leagues. I think Revelation is, is, is more a problem this way than most books. We read it like confused spectators. It's like, I don't know what it means, so I don't even know how to... Read it. i tell you, Revelation is meant to draw us into the presence of God. It's to draw us into the story of God, into the redemptive plan of God for our lives. And as we come there, worship will break out. When we come into worship, we join with all of heaven entering in through the doors, literally but also metaphorically, coming into the assembly, the gathered people of God. We enter into the throne room and we join with heaven there in the temple. In the throne room of the kingdom where the king the throne is at the center and seated on it is the king. We enter into the very dwelling place of God and we find him there. A quick note before I close us off about the Eucharist. And this moment, this realization, it, it should help us to understand why the Eucharist for us at Via in our worship is so central. Both in its physical presence, but also in our liturgy. That all of our worship culminates here at the Throne here at the altar where we encounter and see the Lamb who was slain for the sins of the whole world. How might this reality, this invitation, this opportunity in worship influence or shape your expectations when we get together? Do you come to church? Do you come to the to the gathering to the assembly with this recognition or this expectation that would line up with the idea that we're entering into the very throne room of God? How might it even let's get really tangible and real? How might it shape your preparation to come? In what ways could you prepare your heart? Prepare your family? Prepare your children, right? To come into this place ready as you possibly can to encounter Jesus. You know, if you, you know where you're going, I was just in Calgary and we had a um, dedication of ashes for my uncle who'd passed away a number of years ago but couldn't come, they couldn't come up to Canada because of COVID. They finally got here and we had this thing. As I went there, I got ready. Right. Way more than I get ready to go to Dairy Queen. Right. If I'd shown up there in the chaos and had not taken a moment, I would have missed out on some things. Especially because my aunt had asked me if I could pray and when I got there I had to lead a whole graveside service. So I was really glad I'd prepared. But when we come into these places, when we come into these places of encounter where our expectations are higher, when we recognize where we're going... As things begin to happen for the posture of our hearts and we come ready to worship. As we're ushered into and we're welcomed into the ecclesia, into the assembly, into the, to the gathered people of God, how would it shape that for you? You know, our, our worship leaders here, those who lead us in sung worship, they really prepare. And we are so thankful for you. They work hard to pray and And to prepare to pull things together. This is not a spectator sport. Let's not let them be the only ones who do that. Let's come ready to worship. I want to encourage you tonight to come with your expectations high because we come into the presence of God. Come ready to let him say and do whatever he'd want to say and do. But more than anything, come ready every time to lift up the praises of Jesus. That every time we come together, he would be exalted, lifted high. You know, John also in his gospel tells us that if he's lifted high, he will do what? He will draw all men unto himself. Church, when we worship, it's a great action of mission. We exalt Jesus and we lift him up, the only one who can open the scroll and begin to unravel and work out the redemptive plan of God for creation. And so certainly for every man, woman, and child God puts in our lives. So my invitation to us as we come to the table now, and I'll invite Adam to come. Let us now worship. I love how this passage ends After all of this worship, after all these encounters, the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell on their faces and they worshiped. That's what we're welcomed into. That's what we're invited into. To bring the full of our lives and to respond in worship to this The Savior, Redeemer, Friend. This Lamb who was slain for the sins of the whole world. As we come to the table tonight, and every time we gather, let us add our Amen to the song of heaven. Jesus is in the throne room. The the, the day and night, we we sing this song sometimes, day and night, night and day, let incense rise. Day and night, night and day. He is being worshipped. When we start things like 24-7 prayer rooms, we don't start something, we join something. When we come and we gather, we don't start something, we join something. Jesus is being worshipped. He said in the triumphal entry, they said, could you quiet this down? He says, listen, if I tried to quiet this down, the rocks would cry he will be worshipped. Because all heaven and earth, all of creation knows that only he is worthy. I'll close with a short reading from Hebrews chapter 10. And I'll allow this passage to lead us as we come to the table therefore in light of what we've heard tonight and who we know Jesus to be and considering all that he's done therefore brothers, sisters since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as you recognize like Revelation goes on to promise and to show that the one who holds the scroll will open it that what he's set to do he will do what he's promised to do he will do so even in the places of our distress let us weep no more behold Lamb am seated on the throne so jesus we take a moment to just fix our eyes on you now as we come to the table and we prepare our hearts would you come by your Spirit and would you allow us the joy? Allow us the awesome experience of seeing you here in our midst, of seeing you seated at the right hand of the Father. Worship break out in our hearts and our lives, Lord. Let worship break out via Langley. Let worship break out in the city of Langley.